All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Good. I'm so glad that you guys are here today. It's going to be a good one. Um, I do just have a couple uh, things I want to tell you about. Our business meeting, it's our annual business meeting. I know some of you are already falling asleep, just me mentioning that, but it's going to be a fun one. Okay, last year was kind of a tough meeting, and oh, what a year has made as a difference in this church and in the health and life of our church. And there's some exciting things that we can share and celebrate from this last year and also get excited as we look ahead. So even if you're here right now, come back. We've got a free meal. There's child care provided. Make sure you're here for that business meeting. It'll start around 12, 15, 12, 30. So make sure you guys come back for that meeting today. And also, I want to put a special plug in. This Saturday is the Strengthening Your Marriage Workshop. Our very own Jennifer Tuga is leading that, and she's going to be at that back table in the back after the service. Sign up. It will help your marriage. It will strengthen your marriage. It's going to be awesome. It's productive. Um, She's an expert. She can help you a lot. Um, I mentioned in my message last week about John Gottman, who's one of the leaders in marriage and couples, and I talked with Jennifer this week, and she's like, yeah, that's where I studied. I was like, awesome. No wonder why you're so good. So make sure you guys uh, sign up for that. It's going to be this Saturday, upcoming Saturday morning at 8 a.m. So we didn't have a greeting time, so let's go ahead and stand up and say hi to someone next to you. Testing one. Okay. Hey, everybody. Okay. So um, I know that you guys are excited to see each other today. Um, we actually have one more video I want you to, to show you. And if you noticed while we were doing the offering, there was that video from Colorado Springs. That was the church plant we prayed for last week. Last week, Sunday was their very first Sunday that they're ever meeting on a Sunday morning. And I talked with Josh, the pastor there. He's a friend of mine. We're supporting them. And he said, Matt, it's amazing that what a year has done because last October we started with just 16 people. And it's just amazing. I think they had over 80 in their very first Sunday, which is awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So thank you guys for praying for them. And we support them as a church. They're part of our network. But there was also some exciting things happening here last week. If you missed it, we had six baptisms. Um, six people publicly saying that I follow Jesus. And one was really exciting. We didn't get to see his video last week. It was this guy named Chris who I met. You're going to hear his testimony. We videoed it so you can hear it and, and just kind of get to see some of the baptisms that happened last week. So let's watch this video. Hi, uh, my name is Chris. I was um, on my way to California, and I, um, I have some friends that are uh, Christians, and they told me that um, I should um, always contact a Christian church if I, you know, uh, if I needed some help. So I uh, found uh, this church, and I contacted Pastor Matt, and I spoke with him, and um, I decided to become baptized after speaking with him and praying with him and to accept uh, Christ um, in my life. Um, to, so I know the plan that God has for me. Um, I want to be baptized because I believe Jesus died and rose for me he has saved me in him I find protection from evil and healing in my life
pretty exciting, right? Yeah, we are all about helping people follow Jesus, and it is a joy to be a part of that, and you guys are all a part of that in this church. So thank you guys. So are you ready for relationship goals? That's the series we're in right now. If you've missed the last couple of weeks, you can catch up online, stapletonchurch.com, under the media tab. We have audio and video every week of our messages. This week is week three when we're talking about marriage, specifically marriage roles. Ooh. I know I'm already making some people unhappy just talking about that, just broaching that subject. And I know one thing for sure. I'm a man, so I'm biased, right? I have one side that of the perspective, so I've really tried to talk with a lot of women this week, especially my wife, and she informed me on some areas like, well, maybe that's not, you know, let's, let's think about that a little bit more before you say that, Matt. So, you know, I, I just want to, from the get-go, say that I'm a man. I, I get it. I get it. So, obviously, we need to discern this. Um, and, and the second thing that I do want to say about that is I, I want to say an apology. I think for too many years, for too many years, men, especially Christian men, have abused what the Bible says to hurt women. And I just want to say an apology because too much, if you look back in history, in our country and around the world, people have misused the Bible for, for selfish aim. So if you've ever had a man that, that did that to dominate you or domineer you, if you're a woman here, I just want to apologize on behalf of all men if I can do that. And I just kind of want to start from there that I realize, I recognize that a lot of people have misused the Bible. Misused the Bible for selfish means when it comes to marriage. And I think because of that, many people and probably most of our society has completely rejected what the Bible says about marriage. Even Christians who say, I believe the Bible, but when it comes to marriage, I'm not so sure. I don't know if I want to do what the Bible says. So that's what we're going to talk. So I know I'm just kind of treading into some sticky subjects right here. And you might not agree with everything I say, but I hope that you will pray about it and see what is actually God saying. If there's something I say that's wrong or not quite right, just kind of throw it out. That's fine. But if it's something that's from God, especially in his word, take it and meditate on it. Because even if you don't like it, it still is best for your life and for your marriage. So... That, that's what I've seen, and I've seen a lot of people just completely reject marriage. And, and what has happened, marriage that is talked about in the Bible, and, and people have done that for a number of reasons. People have abused it. Women have been abused physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually because of what has been misconstrued in the Bible, that I would say, um, that it's been misconstrued that way. And, and they've just kind of rejected it whole hog. But what has happened because of that, especially in our society over the last 70 years, is marriage hasn't gotten any better. Have you noticed that? Marriage hasn't gotten any better. The divorce rates skyrocketed for a while. I had somebody commented, well, well hey, divorce rates have gone down in the last 25 years. But that's actually, um, if you look at it per 1,000 people, if you look at it to the marriage rate in our country, divorces have actually continued to increase up to the present day. Because, you know why? Less people are just getting married overall. So, of course, there's going to be less divorces. Most people have even rejected marriage like completely out of hand. There's so many people who are choosing not to marry at all. 50, over 50% of kids now are born outside of marriage. So here's the thing. So people are saying, well, you know, well, that's good, right? There's less divorces. Yeah, but people are living together. And what happens when you live together? You might not be married, but you still have to get a divorce at the end if you're finishing it, right? That's what happens. I mean, just because you haven't signed a certificate and you don't have to do the paperwork, you still have to decide who gets the house, how you get out of the lease, who gets the dog, who takes care of the kids. Man, paperwork's the easy thing in that situation, right? Okay, so, so divorce is uh, skyrocketing, continuing to grow in our nation. 
people, health, marriages aren't any healthier. Women in our nation aren't any happier. Even though we've rejected, as a culture, what the Bible teaches because it's too domineering, things haven't gotten better. And I think statistic after statistic would show this. And it's a sad state because people have just rejected the Bible whole hog, but I think what has happened is they've thrown out the baby with the bathwater. They've just said, let's just reject it completely and try to figure out these new rules for marriage and completely different than what anyone before us has done. And there was some very bad things. I was the first to admit it, right? There were some very bad things that people have done, even in the name of the Bible, in marriages. But just because people have misused the Bible doesn't mean we should throw it out. So that's the challenge I want to leave to all of you today. So if you come in here and thinking, Matt, it's old-fashioned. I don't know if I want to trust any of it. Or my parents, man, you should have seen their marriage. There's no way I want to go anywhere near that. That's fine. But I want you to have an open mind today to what God has to say in his word. Because God knows the best way to have a marriage. He really does. In fact, you don't hear about this in the mainstream uh, news, but there's a professor. His name's Bradford Wilcox at the University of Virginia. He's a sociologist. And he has spent his life um, looking and studying marriages. And he wrote a book a few years back, and in that book he studied particularly Christian marriages. So he, he took data and surveys from all sorts of marriages, but what he found was that when there was a Christian marriage, meaning the couple has decided that they believe the Bible and what it says, that they go to church regularly and participate in their church, and that they pray together as a couple, So if they do those three things, they actually are happier, healthier, and more successful than other marriages. And what's really interesting, he's even been able to delineate between people who say they're Christian and people who actually practice their Christian faith. And there's a big difference between those two groups. Let me show you some of the the things that he's found in his, his research. One, that men who lead their families in this way that's in the biblical light, that they believe biblical marriages, and they, have, they go to church, they pray together, they're involved, that they, the husbands are more emotionally and practically dedicated to their wives and their children. That they are actually the least likely to abuse their spouses, these men. They have the lowest rates of domestic violence in the nation. That those husbands who do those three things, are the most active and expressive fathers. That they are the most emotionally engaged with their wives. They are the most likely to spend time with their kids, especially in their activities, like sports. And the couples, not just the men, but the couples who decide to go to church together and pray together, express that they are very happy at a much higher rate than any other couples. And they are 35% less likely to divorce. You don't hear those statistics, do you? But it's the truth. People who follow what the Bible says about marriage actually have healthier, happier, more successful marriages. So that's why I want you to just keep an open mind to what I'm going to lay out today for what the Bible says. Okay? You guys are going to keep an open mind for just a little bit? Good. You're here, so you at least have to sit through it and listen to it. You can come up to me and chew me out afterwards. So what we're going to do today is look at what Paul has to say in the book of Ephesians. That's where we've been in our series, two wives and then to husbands. But before we do that, I think I need to clarify three foundational principles. So there's three things you need to understand. They're biblical principles, just reality of the world that God created, how he created us, that we need to understand before we can look at what God has to say specifically to wives and then specifically to husbands. So the three principles are, first, that men and women are equal. 
Okay, it seems pretty self-explanatory. If you missed the first message in this series, go back and listen to it. Because that is clearly a biblical thing from the very beginning. The first thing God says about men and women is that they are both made in his image. Male and female are equal in God's eyes. And we see that. We saw that in the first message in Ephesians 5.21, which said, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, before any specifics are given to husbands and wives, there is this general command to submit to one another. There is mutual submission. And we learned our big idea in the first message of this series was that we need to have a submission competition. We need to have a submission competition. It's about outdoing one another to serve each other, to love one another, to to say, I'm going to put you first. That should be my goal instead of getting my way. I want to put you first, your dreams, hopes, goals, desires. I'm going to put those things first. So we learned because men and women are equal, we start there. That's foundational. We've got to realize that principle. But there's a second biblical principle that men and women are different. Men and women are different. You may say, well, duh, Matt. But no, no, I have to say this. I went to college, you know, 10 odd years ago, somewhere around there. And we were taught that they aren't different, except based on what society teaches. But that's not true. Men and women are different anatomically, genetically, in the neurological makeup of the brain. There are differences. And we know study after study show that women communicate differently than men. The the amount of words and the type of words that women use is different than what men use, that men and women experience emotions differently. And here's even one that's really interesting to me is that they think differently. Men and women think differently. I think it's really illustrated, maybe you've seen this before, that, that men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. You heard that before? You know, we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I thought about it a lot more this week. See, the idea is that a woman's brain is kind of like spaghetti and there's sauce intertwined and every noodle's connected to every other noodle. So when a woman thinks... And this is just what I've heard. I don't know. But this is what I've heard is that everything's connected to everything else. And that's why women are so much better at multitasking because everything's connected. And they're always thinking about how everything connects to everything else. And there's so many things going on in their brain at once. But men are like waffles. You pour the syrup in and it stays there. So men just get focused on one thing and they think about that one thing and get stuck on that one thing. And it's hard for them to connect it to other pieces. That's why men are worse at multitasking. So this is just the way that we think differently. This is really clear to me this week. Uh, Melissa and I, one night, it was getting late, and we were watching, of course, The Great British Bake Off. You guys seen that show? We were watching it, just mindless, getting late, and I I turned it off to go to bed, and then my wife just launches into this in-depth emotional conversation. She's recalling something that happened months ago and says, remember this? And it was like super deep, like the deepest type of conversation you could ever have. And I was just thinking, that cake looked pretty tasty. Because it was like, I was trying to steer away from it. But it was just so clear that we even think differently. We feel differently. We talk differently. We're, We're different. So that's a biblical principle that men and women are different. And here's the third thing of why that second one is so important is that the third foundational principle is that men and women complement each other in marriage. They're complementary if you're taking notes. They're complementary. And that's not a compliment with an I, although that's very useful and helpful in marriage. You should give a lot of compliments. But it's a compliment with an E, like if you remember in geometry, complementary angles. Okay, the two angles, they have numbers that add up to 180 degrees, right? They're not both 90. Uh, Somebody do the math for me. You know, they're 70 and... 110, I'm not a math guy, 110, you know, the two angles add up together, right? They're different, but they add up to make the whole, 
That's what a complementary thing is. The two things come together to form something better than they are on their own. That's a very biblical principle. From the very beginning, when God made the first man, Adam, he was alone, and God was like, nah, this ain't so good. You're not doing very well on your own. If any guy is a bachelor, you know what I'm talking about. But then this is what God said. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper as his complement. That's how this translation translates it. As a complement. Hey, it's not good. He, by himself, he needs somebody else to com- complete him, to complement him. And that's when God created the woman. So these two things kind of fit together. Fit together to make something better than they could on their own. And I do want to put in a point here. I know I'm going to make even more people mad, but that is why from the very beginning, God created man and woman for marriage. One man, one woman. Marriage. Because they're different. They complement each other and make each other better. If you don't have a man and a woman in a marriage, it's not going to work the same. Because one of the great things about being complementary is that you challenge each other. Those of you men who have been married, you realize you don't live the same way that you did when you were single. Thank goodness. I mean, you enjoyed your, your shower the way it looked when you were single, right? Oh, my gosh. No way. That's disgusting. I lived like a slob before I got married, right? There's a lot of terrible habits I had. And that's just one in, instance of things that have changed when you get married. And it's a good change, a very good change for my life. But it goes both ways, that men and women complement each other. They kind of sharpen each other and, and push back on each other and challenge each other. And, and that's part of what you're supposed to do, especially in Christian marriage, is to make each other more holy. To help each other. That's why it takes two different people. It takes one man and one woman. Okay? I know I just made a lot more people upset. But I also want to say one more thing about that. Is that this was from the very beginning. If you read in Genesis in chapter 3, that's when the man and the woman started to get into some trouble. And sin. And sin came into the world and kind of ruined everything for everybody for all time. Until Jesus came and redeemed it. But from even before that, man and woman were different. And it was supposed to be that way. They were supposed to be different and then come together in one to form a marriage. Okay? So these equality with differences, with complementarity, those three principles are so important to understand for our message today. If you only hold one of those, if you only say that men and women are equal, you're going to miss the differences. And it's not going to be as healthy of a relationship as it could be. If you only hold on to that second or third principle and say men and women are different and they complement each other, you're going to miss out on the equality. You've got to have both. You've got to hold both, right? Seems like, aren't those intention, Matt? No, they're not. They're not. Those two work perfectly together. That's how God intended. So now that we have those three foundational principles put out there, you guys all know where we're coming from. Now we can talk about the differences in the the commands that God gives through Paul to wives and then to husbands. Wives and then to husbands. So we're going to start there with the wives in verse 22, if you have your Bible. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Now, it is interesting to ponder why did God start with the women first. And it's interesting, too, because Paul gives these instructions, just a few verses to women, and then he has triple the words that he has to husbands. Maybe it's because we really need to listen to this kind of stuff. But he starts out with the wives. And it may sound challenging to you wives today, to you women. But then what he says to the husband, I think, is even more challenging. So that, maybe that's the order that he's going in. So the, the second thing be, before we start, I'm giving a lot of different precursors right today it's just like a lot of stuff we've got to establish before we can get here the other thing is this first section is directed to wives so husbands i don't want you to think yeah listen to him because this is for the wives 
This is from God, his word to women. So women, this is your section to listen to, learn from, grow, grow through, and, and be challenged by it. And then when we get to the section on husbands, wives, I don't want you to be like, come on, listen to him. Because it's not our jobs in marriage to force the other person to do what they're supposed to do. It's not. Okay, so I don't want to hear any men come up to me. Why weren't you harder on the wives? I'm going to punch you. I probably will, you know. Somebody, or, or vice versa, probably won't, I won't punch a woman. But, but you get it, right? This is for the wives, and the next section is for the husbands. Now, if you're here and you're single, maybe you're young, take some good notes and prepare for the day that you will be married. And if you're thinking, Matt, this is going to be hard to do as a wife, make sure you find a really good guy. It's going to make it a little easier. <laughs> okay, and, and if you're like, Matt, I, I'm already divorced, well, good. Listen to this stuff so you don't make some of the same mistakes twice. And if you're like, Matt, I'll never get married, well, great. Just sit back and pray for the rest of us. Okay? So wives, let's start with wives. Wives, Paul says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now I know that word submit feels a little awkward to you guys. You don't like that word. We're Americans. We're rebels. We don't like to submit to anybody. But also remember that it started out by mutual submission. So now it's just saying, okay, there's mutual submission in marriage. You serve each other. You love each other. You put each other first. And now let's talk specifically to the women. And what he says is, wives, submit yourselves. I want you to notice that first. It's submit yourselves. If it's forced submission, it's not submission. That's why husbands, you can't force your wives to submit. It's a voluntarily thing. That's why this is directed to you, and you guys can learn from it. Then the second thing I want you to notice is that it's to your own husband's. This is not to every man. Got that? This is not to every man. It's to your husband. Now, this would have been more difficult in the first century when Paul was writing it because there was mainly arranged marriages. Today, when we marry for the person we want, for love, or for whatever reason, you choose that. So you've chosen your husband. This is the husband you've chosen. This is the husband you've chosen to submit to. And the third thing I want you to notice is it says, as you do to the Lord. This is the reasoning behind this command, as you do to the Lord. So I have a big idea, and it's going to apply to both wives and to husbands today, to women and to men, is that we need to make marriage mirror the gospel. This is our big idea. Make marriage mirror of the gospel. So in your own marriage... This is what you're aiming for. If you're thinking, someday I want to get married, this is what you're aiming for, to mirror the gospel. And when you hold up a mirror, of course, you see a reflection of something. So in our lives and in our marriages as couples, what we aim to do is to reflect the gospel. So what is the gospel? Good news. All right. Amen. It's the good news. It's the good news that Jesus, that God himself came down to earth to love us, to serve us, and eventually to die for us. To love us. That's the gospel, that Jesus did that for us. So if we're going to have our marriages and our relationships reflect the gospel, that means in our relationships we need to think about that. How am I living out the gospel? So if we can look back at our passage, when it says that we wives should submit to husbands as to the Lord, that's what it's talking about. And in this relationship that, that Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, the wife relationship is like the church to Jesus. Jesus died for Christians to save them, to love them, to help them. And in the same way that the church then, Christians, we listen to Jesus and want to learn from him and, and, 
And, and in the same way, that, that's the relationship that a wife has to her husband, to reflect the gospel. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, once said about marriage this concept. He said, Christian marriage will become a parable of Christ's self-sacrificial love for his church. It's a parable. Every time that two Christians come together and get married, they show to the world what Jesus did for us, how he loved us, how he died for us, how he saved us. So that's why we're supposed to make marriage a mirror of the gospel. Make marriage a mirror of the gospel. So this is a difficult and challenging thing to do. I, I understand that submission is a difficult thing. When in all the relationships we have submitting, I told you guys a couple of weeks ago on my way to church that I got a speeding ticket, and I have to submit to the government and pay my, my fine, right, for speeding because I didn't submit while I was driving, right? We all have to submit to people, and it doesn't always seem fun. And, 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 and I do want to say this. When, when we're talking about complimenting each other, did you notice how in that passage in Genesis it said that the wife is the helper? Let me say this. It is no help. It is zero help to your spouse if you don't speak your mind. If you don't tell them what you're feeling and thinking about, it's not a help. And it's not submission either. Because submission does not include anything that is harmful or sinful. Because our submission first is to God. And if our husband is... If your husbands are saying something sinful or something harmful to yourselves, then you're not submitting to them. You're not helping them in any way by going along with that. I know of a woman and her husband decided he wanted to take a job overseas and actually a very dangerous part of the world because he was going to earn a lot of money. And so he moved um, his wife and his kids and they moved to this country and it was really difficult for them to understand the language. It was dangerous. They couldn't even like leave their house. And then finally he, he said, no, I want a different job and moved to another part of the world where they spoke a different language. And he had these young kids these young kids and they were trying to figure out life and all of a sudden these kids started having learning disabilities and and learning issues and behavioral issues and all sorts of bad stuff and finally the the wife said this isn't good this is harmful to our family and she said we're not going to move to the third country he wanted to move to we've got to be in a place where our family will thrive if she had said nothing that wouldn't be helpful Going along with what the other person says, if it's harmful or sinful, is not submission. Because our submission is first to God. You guys following me? You guys following me? I want to be clear about that point. I want to be clear about that. So, one of the aspects of this, one of the aspects of submission for a wife to a husband is respect. I was going to say this at the very end of our passage. Paul kind of concludes it in verse 33. He says, the wife must respect her husband. For a marriage to be healthy, uh, husbands, men, we really desire respect. We really desire it. And if you've ever read the book Love and Respect, it talks about that, how, how women desire love most and men desire respect most. And, of course, they, both sides desire love. Both sides desire respect. But for a wife, Paul is encouraging wives to respect your husband. So think about it. Are you being respectful to him at home? Or are you saying comments to him that are always knocking him down? Or what about when you're with your friends? Do you just get around and talk about how awful your husbands are? So show respect. This is part of what submission is. It's showing respect to your spouse. So I know that submission is hard. I know that it's difficult. But I want to say this, that it's worth it. It's worth it. Uh, There was actually this really interesting article written this summer in the Washington Post. And I don't know anything about the the spiritual beliefs of this woman who wrote it. Her name was uh, Jenny 
in January wrote this article that three years into their marriage, they were living in Los Angeles where she loved being there. Her husband decided to take a job in Washington, D.C., moved the whole family there, and she hated Washington, D.C. She wanted the sun. She wanted the beach. She wanted to be able to go out in February and eat sushi outside, right? But you couldn't do that in Washington, D.C. She hated everything about it, and for years and years, she said six years, she struggled with it and always complained and didn't want to be there. Well, finally, one day, her husband surprised her and said, okay, we're going to go back on a vacation for your birthday to L.A. And while they were back there, Jenny got coffee with one of her close friends from her time in L.A. And her friend shared how her, she and her husband were having lots of problems, fights, and they were going to get divorced. And she realized in that moment that she would rather live in Washington, D.C. with her husband, where they had love and marriage and family and a connection, than being divorced in L.A. And those are some of the things we have to say. It's not hard. It's not, I mean, it is hard. It's not easy. But it's worth it. And if you're saying, well, Matt, my husband isn't worth respect. He's not respectable. He's not worth submitting to. That might be true. And that's why I'm going to have some words for husbands here in just a second. And if he's not here, you can encourage him to listen to this one, okay? But I just want to say this. There is no if in any of these statements here to wives. There isn't any ifs for the husbands either. So you're saying, hey, my, my husband isn't living up to his bargain. He's not doing his part in this. There's no if here. There's no conditions. So if we're Christian, and some of you have unchristian spouses, they're not a believer. They don't go to church. They're not going to be praying with the family like those things you talk about, Matt. But we as Christians are called to do this, and we're called to go first. But what I've seen again and again, when someone is willing to do this and sacrifice themselves, I talked about this in week one, is that the other person will reciprocate. Just, I want to challenge you to do that. Just try it. Put it into practice. Some people object to this teaching here because they say it's old-fashioned, right? That what Paul is writing is very cultural. You heard that? Maybe you've thought that. Maybe you're thinking that right now. Saying, isn't this old-fashioned? Isn't this cultural? Isn't this just first-century things? Here's the reality. That what Paul wrote to wives was very culturally normative for the first century. It would have been very normal, and it was normal at the time, for writing, for teaching for spouses that wives, you should submit to your husband. But here's the thing. Paul didn't care about cultural expectations. Because in the next sentence that he writes to husbands, he bucks all of the culture of his day. You see, in Paul's day, husbands owned their wives. They were basically property. They could do whatever they want with them, even uh, physically hurt them and discipline them. But Paul kind of upends all of cultural expectations by saying something to the husbands that was completely countercultural in his day. And that's why I think culture, there's some principles here that are biblical for all time that we can learn from. So let's look at this section to husbands now. Husbands, love your wives. That might sound normative today and normal. Yeah, yeah of course. But that word love was never written to husbands in Paul's day. It wasn't. Paul's saying you have to love your wives. Even if it's an arranged marriage, you have to love them, show them love, care about them. And then he goes on to explain what type of love it is. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Jesus love the church? Well, he died on the cross for us. Overlooking all of our sin, all the bad things we've done. He laid down his entire life. He was not self-serving. He was not selfish. He gave everything over to us. So Paul says, husbands, that's how you're supposed to love your wives. See why I'm saying this is maybe even harder than the section of wives? Husbands, give up everything 
for your wife. Serve her with all that you are. Stop being so selfish and self-centered. Serve her, love her with all that you are, even if it costs you your life. And this isn't just, hey, I'm going to be Rambo, and in case there's a war, I'll go out there and fight. No, 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 no. saying die daily. I had a mentor that said that husband's role is to die a thousand deaths. And the little things about what you want to do this weekend, your preferences, things like where you want to live, what you want to do. Are you thinking of your wife first, putting her first, always? That's what we're called to as husbands and men. And Paul explains why. He says, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The husband's job is to serve and lay down his life for his wife to make her more holy. Just like Jesus. Remember, it's a mirror. The gospel is a mirror in marriage. That we, just like Jesus died for us, he saves us, he helps us, he continues to encourage us, he forgives us again and again and again. Husbands, we've got to do the same thing for our brides. We've got to do the same thing. So this means that husbands have a responsibility in the home to lead when it comes to spiritual things. Now, this doesn't mean to do everything, but it does mean that we men should make sure that we are in our homes praying together. Maybe you don't have to pray all the time. Have your kids pray. Have your wife pray. Take turns. That's fine. But just make sure that it's happening. Are you praying together? Are you guys going to church together? Husbands, I encourage you to take the responsibility to look at your schedule and her schedule. Work them out together. Make sure you figure it out so that we can worship together as a family. You're saying, I'm going to work on this. And I'm going to say, even though I have this one track mind and I just want to watch football, I'm going to talk about spiritual things with my spouse. So that we can learn and grow together. And I'm going to make sure in my own life that I'm following Jesus. Because if you're not following Jesus in your own life, there's no way you can help your spouse do the same. This is a challenging word, right? Make them holy. And Paul goes on in verse 28. He says, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And then in verse 31, he says, <clears throat> we have that. Maybe I'll just get the old-fashioned Bible, right? Works just as good. Verse 31. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Quoting Genesis chapter 2. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. So there's a concept here that Paul is saying. He says, you men, husbands, you like yourself. You love yourself. You take care of yourself. When you're hungry, you get food. When you want to watch something, you watch something. If you want to do something, you do it. You care about yourself. If you are a person, if you're a self, if you're a flesh, using this language here, and you get married, you're no longer just about you. The two become one flesh, right? To become one. So if you're going to care about yourself and love yourself and feed yourself and make sure you get what you want, now there's one flesh that includes your wife. Are you caring about her? Are you loving her like you love yourself? That's the word that Paul gives. It's no longer just about you. You're going to love yourself. You've got to also love the one flesh. So here's a principle that I have for you. It's no longer about, number one, it's about one flesh. It's no longer about number one. It's about one flesh. Is this best for my wife? 
Maybe we need to actually talk with her and listen to her to find out what is best for her instead of just assuming. When we do, we need to think, what's best for her? How could I serve her? How could I love her? How could I care about her? What can I do to make her life better? That's what we're called to do as husbands. Here's another thing I want to tell you men. That this, these roles, uh, and it talks about the man being the husband, of course, and the wife, a helper. This is not a right to claim. It's a responsibility you have to live up to. So you can't just say, hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. You've got to submit to me. No, 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 no. You've got to say, hey, I have a responsibility to lead my home, to love my wife, to seek after her. Now, if we're going to make our marriages a mirror of the gospel, the next time that one or both of you sins, the next time you do that, Husbands, you need to seek after your wife. We're supposed to mirror the gospel. What did Jesus do for us when we were sinful? When we rejected him? When we didn't care about him or believe in him? He came after us. He came down into the world, loved us, served us, came after us, and then died on the cross for us. So husbands, the next time you get in a big fight and you're angry, I don't care who sinned, whether it's her or you or both of you, you need to be the one to go seek after her. To lay down your life and your preferences to go apologize, even if you're like, Ugh. This is what we're called to do as husbands. Make marriage a mirror of the gospel. You picking this up? Now, one of the people who really lived this out in my life was a man named Don. And I love Don. Um, when Don and his wife were in their early 30s, they found out that she has MS. And because of that, it required radical lifestyle changes. They had to stop eating sugar altogether, and he was happy to do that. It meant that they were going to have to grow all their own vegetables to try to you know, prolong her life and be healthier. At the time, there was no organic produce, so they were going to grow it all themselves. It was a lot of work. And, and on top of that, he had to leave the family business that he loved, that he had done all his life. But he had to leave that business so that he could get a job, so that he could continue to take his wife to her work. They were in opposite directions. He quit his job to get a new job. And he had to drive her because physically she couldn't do it anymore. And Don would work out every day. He was ripped. He was just, I mean, he, he impressed me. He was ripped. And the reason he did it is because his wife soon wouldn't be able to move at all. And he would have to carry her. And, and he did. He always was taking care of her. He was driving her everywhere. He loved her. He served her. He gave up his job. He gave up his whole life as he knew it for his wife. And I hope I can be a husband like Don. Because far too often I'm selfish. It's about me. What I want to do. What's best for me. But it's not about that in Christian marriage. Husbands, we are commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We need to make our marriage mirror the gospel. I know this is a challenging word. Some of you are already like, I don't know if I like these relationships that you're talking about, these roles and responsibilities. But I just want to challenge you to try it. Keep an open mind. Go for it. It's going to be difficult for both sides. Husbands, you're going to be like, well, my wife isn't submitting to me. Why should I lay down my life? It doesn't matter. Wives, you're going to be like, why should I submit? My husband isn't laying down his life for me. It doesn't matter. We as Christians are called to do this, to make our marriages mirror the gospel. And when we do that, we will have healthier happier, more successful marriages, and it will reflect to the world what Jesus has done for us. People will be coming to you. How do you do it? 
How do you do it? So what we're going to do right now is something that may be even more challenging to some of you. So we're going to have a prayer time, a special prayer time. So if I could have the band come up, they're going to kind of be playing some music underneath this, but I'm going to have a special prayer time for married couples. Now, if you're here and you're like, well, Matt, I'm a kid or, you know, my spouse isn't here or whatever, I want you to just pray for those couples around you. I'm going to have a few things up here on the screen that I want us to be praying for as couples. Husbands, I want to challenge you guys to take the lead. Now, this doesn't mean you have to pray for all of these things. Maybe your wife can jump in. And it's just going to be the two of you guys praying together. So you can hold hands. You can get together if you're moving around anywhere else. And if you're like, I'm single here, you can just pray for everybody else. Pray these same five things because married couples need some help. We do. It's hard. It's difficult to lay down our lives. It's difficult to submit to the other person. But it's what we're called to do. So if we can have these five things here up on the screen, Kelly, do we have those? Thanks. So just five simple things that you can be praying for. And if you have other things, pray for those too. And I'm going to say a prayer and lead us into that time, okay? Lord God, um, you've given us a word here in this, this message through your word that maybe is challenging to some of us. Maybe some of us have seen this done very poorly in the past, in other relationships, in our parents' lives, maybe even on our own. But I pray that we would be able to step up and actually do what you call us to do. And in that way, have healthier, happier, more successful marriages. I pray for these couples, especially right now. Amen. So would you guys, as couples, just hold hands, pray together. Everybody else, just pray for those couples around you.